must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams, and basically getting the most out of your teams. My name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined, as always, by my uh, partner in pod and all-round podcast hero, sports coach, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. Uh, you have been a hero this week. You've been uh, a PT hero. I've been eavesdropping on all of your uh, conversations with your PTs. You've been crafting young minds, teaching them. You sold me very well there, Mark. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's been it's been quite a good week. Um, there's been some good energy in, in the tutor group. And PSHE was actually a good session this PSHE, week. PSHE, that's uh, personal, social and health and economic education. And is it's a hugely important subject in our college particularly because of how much social understanding and cultural understanding we have to develop with a bunch of people who sometimes have come from countries where the focus on uh, community or the focus on uh, awareness of things like sex education is a lot less. So we have to be particularly sensitive to that, but make sure that we are keeping to our values and making sure that those students particularly are getting a healthy, mature understanding of the world around them. Yeah, this week they were looking at kind of like skills, um, like their own skills and stuff and how they can kind of sell themselves and about their, you know, USP. And I think that's kind of important for all of us to kind of understand our USP. Because uh, I think when we do know our strengths, we can be a lot more confident going into situations. Last week, uh, Gemma was talking about learning and striving from our past experiences um, and knowing that using those can help us uh, in the current situation that we may find is stressful or that we're not very confident in. And so, yeah, like I'd like our audience this week to kind of think about their USP and really sell themselves in different situations because, you know, we all have our strengths and we should let other people know what they are from time to time. I love that. And I, I also love the idea that that is kind of independent of what we want to be. We do do careers education. We do send students down a route towards A-level subjects and university subjects. And it does feel like we're slowly kind of carving off options or opportunities and getting them to pin down this career path. And I think that actually for, for some of the young people at the age that we're meeting them, that's, that's not always appropriate. Like I knew nothing when I was 15, 16, didn't have a clue, did not know I was going to be a teacher now, but I was starting to understand what I was good at and how I might be able to apply that to different situations. So I think looking at skills rather than, you know, what job do you want to be stuck in for the rest of your life is really valuable for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said, you know, it's a, a one PSHE lesson, but uh, I took something away from it and uh, yeah, thought I'd share it with, with you guys. So yeah, think about your USP. Sean? I hate teams. Specifically, I hate NFL teams uh, and I hate my fantasy football team. Uh, this week, <laughs> uh, my quarterback has had his game postponed because the NFL uh, are fine with training under a pandemic. And I think uh, 
we talked a little bit a while back about the the restarting of sporting events and how important that is culturally and how important it is for a sense of identity and something positive to be following. I felt really burned by it this week because games have been postponed. It's it's ruined my fantasy team, which is by the by. But that's American football. How how are you feeling about as a, as an avid sports supporter? How are you feeling about the return to sport? And how it's landing currently. Yeah, so I've not jumped into any fantasy teams this season. Um, mainly probably because of the reason you <laughs> it just It feels said. like a wash, yeah. It feels like a wash. But I I know what you mean about we're training in a pandemic and, and that, you know, brings up its problems. But I've actually been really impressed with professional sport and how it's gone back. You know, you look at the NBA... They're playing their finals now and the Premier League. Um, you know, I'm I am really impressed and I'm impressed with how the games have still been entertaining. Mm. Because you're going from a stadium with say 60, 70, 80,000 people usually inside of it. More so in the Premier League, NBA, I'm not sure what their courts get, 20,000, 20 odd thousand potentially. And then the NFL, which I mean, huge, huge stadiums. That's going to zero. And then the protocols within it, you know, people are not changing in the same changing room. They're entering the building differently. Their travel arrangements can be different. Um, just so many guidelines and protocols leading up to what athletes would usually just not even have to think about. So they're taking all that on board and then they're still having to go out and perform. And they're having to do that at a level where people are still entertained. Yep. And these games are not 10 out of 10, but I do still feel like I'm being entertained uh, by these athletes. And I think they have to be commended a little bit. Yes, they earn absolute fortunes. Uh, and we all know that. Mm. But, you know, they've still gone through a lockdown like we've gone through lockdown. They've still mentally had to deal with that situation regardless of money. And like me putting on a few several pounds because I'm not moving is not mission critical to my career, but a lockdown where you aren't exercising or training at an elite level, you know, that's, that's going to have job impact, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, look, these guys all had their programs in place, but then it goes back to still self-motivating and doing what you can do. Um, and, you know, as I said, I, I have been really impressed. I think there's been some research on injuries and I definitely think that there has been maybe a bit of a spike in, in some injuries um, based on people not having like a proper preseason and things like that. But generally, I think from, from my point of view, everyone will have their opinion on whether sport is important enough to be still trying to, to work through uh, during this pandemic. But I just have been impressed with how they've got on with it in empty stadiums and as someone who's an avid sports fan I'm I'm really happy that I know on a weekend I'm going to be watching some sport mm. um so yeah that's where I sit on it yeah uh, I'm also aware that, that from the other side of the table uh theatres haven't opened yet and no. so that as an em an employment status is 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 quite tough because yeah none of those guys are on contract in the same way um but that doesn't quite work as well if you perform to an empty house. I know that some NFL stadiums have been piping in uh, noise because noise plays quite a big part in the game, particularly when you're playing at home and it's your home crowd. 
that doesn't exist for theatres at the moment. A little reflection there, but let's jump on to introducing what we're sharing with you today uh, or resharing. We are going to give you all um, Cara McCartney's episode again. This is a, a, a really great episode that was recorded kind of at the height of lockdown where literally nothing was happening from a sport perspective. But we know that a lot of people out there are going back to work and we do have a lot of teachers listen. We do have a lot of uh, sports people and sports coaches listen. And so Cara talking about how she puts together training programs, we thought as some of those things are starting to kick off, might be a good thing to uh, reintroduce some people to. 100%. Yeah, this was really inspiring and motivational for myself as, you know, as, as a coach, uh, especially working in a school. And it is quite tough for P departments out there and, and sports staff out there working in schools, but not just schools, but community setups as well and grassroots teams, because it's not quite the same um, right now. And, you know, government guidelines are changing uh, almost on a weekly basis. And it's really hard to give students the level of sports provision that you would want to if we weren't in this pandemic. Um, and we have to be realistic in, in terms of what we can provide. But as sports coaches, you know, we're always trying to de- deliver the best we can. Yeah. And so when you feel like sometimes you can't quite do that, it is very frustrating. And I think for all of those netball coaches, cricket coaches, football coaches, uh, basketball coaches, and all the other sports that are out there um, in schools and, and in the community, uh, I think this one will really give you that fire. Yeah, you'll to, be feeling this one. Yeah, to get out there and, and, and to enjoy your coaching, um, even if it is under maybe some... some uh, new normals. New normals, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, without further ado, here's Cara McCartney. So uh, we have the great pleasure of welcoming on today... Uh, Cara McCartney. Cara is the director of netball at a leading uh, independent school in the southeast of the UK. Hello, Cara. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I uh, gave a brief intro there, mm-hmm. but if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself. How have you got to, to, to where you are now? What's your journey been? Um, so obviously I've played sport all my life um, and uh, started off kind of being one of those children that just got thrown into everything by my parents. <laughs> Um, then it was, you know, as every schoolgirl does, they start playing netball um, and fell in love with that, fell in love with lots of sports, actually. And it wasn't really until I got to university um, that my hand was actually forced in terms of choosing a sport. I had gone to three trials for three different sports, um, naively thinking I could play all of them at university. But um, I went to Loughborough and it was a bit of a shock when I turned up at Loughborough and, uh, yeah, realised how seriously they took their sport and uh, the netball trials just happened to be first and I got into their first team which was great a bit of a shock if I'm honest um especially as at the trials there was sort of one of the the Commonwealth Games medalists from that that summer (laughs) on the court next to me and you know that that was just you know I, I was completely out of my depth really but anyway um loved university netball um really fell in love with the sport at that point from a performance level and then carried on playing uh, sort of Premier League netball um, 
as I say, uh, I ended up captaining in my final year, which was great. We won the Booster Championships, which was amazing. But it was only really when I left university and sort of was just kind of going into my first teaching jobs that I realised that it was the coaching side that I absolutely fell in love with. My first school was a state school. Um, and I took on the netball teams there just because they knew I was a netball player. Um, and then that's where the coaching career built. I did my level two coaching qualification, obviously met some really great coaches along the way. And then the coaching just grew and grew and grew. And by word of mouth, people were asking me to come and do little bits and pieces. Um, and then I was approached by a club who wanted a full time coach. Roundwood Netball Club. They were just in a Croydon local league, so they were they were good within Croydon, but they had no idea really what was outside of that. Um, and so I took them on, started doing a bit with them, and gradually over the years we've managed to get up to the London and Southeast Regional League now. So we've kind of had back to back promotions, which has been amazing. And yeah, so I'm coaching there. Obviously, school wise, I've just recently left my last school where I was at for 11 years and have now moved across into the private sector mm. and have now taken on that director of Netball Post there. So very, very, two very, very different worlds where actually the end goal for the netball performance was the same to yeah. get to national finals. Yeah. That's, I, that's super interesting. Uh, just the already the way you're talking about like this thread of netball being this constant through a real kind of swing from side to side. And, and it, sound, it sounds like we're going to talk about your experiences of playing and coaching where the intention, the aim has quite a, quite a different level. Mm. We've spoken to people who coach teams that play for fun. We've spoken to people that coach teams that play for Olympic gold medals. It sounds like yeah. you've gone nearly across that entire spectrum over the course of over the course of teaching and coaching yeah 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 and I guess that's one of the I mean uh, Sean will know that one of the biggest challenges of of, of teaching PE physical education and sport is that you end up having to do all you Mm. have to do sport for all and make sure that the the students are enjoying it but you also then have that pressure of the elite performance for students which is is to represent a sort of a national level um and have success there so yeah it's it that that's always always a fine balance to, to strike and always an interview question as well how are you going to do both yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and if there was an easy answer we'd all get every job we go for but you know it, it's it's that juggle really in schools for sure 100 percent, 100 percent. um hi cara <laughs> first and foremost <laughs> thank you so much for uh coming on to the podcast um and yeah just as mark said there like what a strand going all the way through from kind of playing through uni um and then up to where you are now in that director of netball post a lot of success within that journey um a lot of success you know is is your mindset always been kind of on that winning side of it or is it something you had to develop and have the people around you and the players around you and other staff around you always kind of had that similar winning mentality and you've just continued that through or is it something that's kind of been developed and worked on and changed for you internally from club to club school to school etc um i think it changes ever so slightly when you go into the different environments and for me as a a, as a player i always wanted to win Um, and i remember quite clearly one tipping point for me was I, I thought I was invincible as a youngster I was playing <laughs> sort of county netball county lacrosse county athletics and I was just going to trials and getting in and I literally thought I was invincible and then one year I'd got in a year early into the county netball team and I turned up to trials very very cocky um, I thought I was going to breeze through and I didn't get selected um, and it was a coach back then that kind of just 
made me pull myself together and was like, look, you put down that you could play three positions. They don't want that. <laughs> I wouldn't be a specialist. Like she really cut me down. And, um, you know, she told me at the time it was character building. I thought it was the end of the world. Um, and of I've course. kind of harbored, I've, I've kind of held on to that in everything I do now yeah. in that, you know, whoever you coach, no matter if you're the best player, you need you need a sense of reality. You need sometimes to be pulled back down. And and that whole essence thing is it's a team. And if in that year I wasn't meant to be in the team, then I need to look at how I grow, not wonder why I didn't get right. in. Um, and so that carries through through all the teams. Um, but yeah, I, I do go into things expecting to win. Um, and if we don't win, this is more of my senior sort of club stuff where they're all adults. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we've worked hard on something and the players don't put that into place, play in the, at the weekend in our games, in the regional games, then yeah, they do fall short. And we do have sort of quite frank conversations about performance and, and where it went wrong. Um, and it's sort of team, team accountability and team responsibility. Um, that slightly differs when you're in school because obviously you're you're dealing with children, um, essentially young adults, um, and and that kind of environment changes. But the the competitive or the competitiveness stays. I, I'm known for being very competitive, mm. and actually my new school now, the the program and the coaches I'm working with at the top end, we're starting to shift a little bit more. In you know in as far as I've changed the block fixtures or the teams we're playing because we need to play better teams if we're going to get better. Just little things like that. I'm not massively making massive changes, but what's the point in winning? You need to learn from losing. So I do make, I've made the, the fixtures, the fixture schedule a little bit more difficult for next year because that's a, a key part. That's really interesting. And I, want, I, I, I don't know if it's possible for you to talk more about that, but as a competitive person, with an expectation of winning in setting people up to lose for the purposes of mm. winning later, how do you support that as a coach? Because we've talked a lot about failure being super important yeah. for growth, yeah. particularly as a team. How do you simultaneously coach, you want to be winning this, but mm -hmm. also we're going to lose? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's really difficult. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the hardest things about coaching, I think. Um, I think you go in and, and get your team to buy into the fact that you are looking at a process rather than the outcome. So uh, an example I'll give you is a school-based um, scenario. So I have a very talented year group at the new school I'm at, um, and I purposely made a fixture where I knew we weren't ready, we weren't going to probably win. We, it was going to be competitive, but this team was a, a more established team, um, and I'd only had my hands on this team for a, a couple of months. And I told them what I wanted to see from them on the court. And at no point was there any reference to the score. At no point was there any reference to the winning. It was, right, as a defending unit, you need to have done this on that person. And if they start doing this to you, then as the shooters, you need to, you know, you need to stop them from being able to do this move. And everything was very, very processed within the units. And again, with netball, I don't know how much you know about netball, but there's obviously seven players on the court at any time normally a squad of about 10 to up to 12. Um, and again, those off the court are part of that unit. So when we come off at half time or quarter time, my two defensive players that might have been on the court stand and talk with the other two maybe defensive players that are also off the court and they have a unit chat mm. about what's going well and what's not, not going well. I was going to say, how do you review that process of 
those those adjusted targets but if you've got those eyes that, mm. that kind of analysis that's running you're you're actually coaching yeah. an, a, a, an additional skill there as well I guess yeah that so the players in my squads that I mean there have been players in the past that are not team players or that have not built bought into my my way of working within my team but certainly that's what I would expect you to do if you're on the bench mm. um my players know there's no space for egos. Um, I don't care if you're the best player. Um, if you're not going to sit on the bench, I know we all want to be on the court, but if you're not sat on the bench doing your job of looking after that unit or noticing what could be going better for the team, then, and again, I'm, t- I'm talking adults here, yeah. not my school children, but you know, there's no place for that person on the team. And it's very much a buy-in philosophy. Cara. I hope, I think. <laughs> No, definitely. Um, just just on that, do you think even the specific nature of a sport like netball and basketball would kind of be the same? Um, the high intensity of it, the, the, the lack of numbers actually on court at, at one time compared to maybe something like rugby or football. Substitutions are kind of done very late on in maybe football or rugby, you know, whereas netball, it's so fast paced. Is there actually just even a practical difference of girls being on the bench ready and raring to go because it is so fast paced and you you may be changing, you know, every quarter? Yeah, it could happen at any time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And definitely. Um, yeah, you watch football, and it's sort of the 87th minute and they're putting a person on to just get like five minutes of, yeah. of, of, Find, of pitch time. Finding his shin pads, finding his shin pads, yeah. that he's had, you know. <laughs> Yeah, where they feel there's no role to play. Exactly. Um, yeah, netball's different in that sense in that it could be, you know, it could be seven, eight minutes into a quarter. And if the squad knows something's not going right, someone would be selfless and call time. There's a kind of a tricky rule in netball at the moment in that you're not allowed to call time unless there's an injury. Um, right. But every, it's a well-known thing within all teams that players will fake an injury to call time in order to, for you to be able to make substitutions yeah. to change your, change your units. Um, but yeah, substitutions are made fairly frequently in netball. But there are times where if something's working similar to football, you might not make a, a, a substitution. You know, you might, might let that seven play it out. Um, and that's difficult on a school level because when you are at the higher competition, so national schools finals, you have to have those conversations with players before the tournament that aren't going to get that much court time and say, you know, you may end up on the court and playing all day, but you also may not get on court because something is just working. And it's, that's hard. Mm. Cara, how, how many, how many, not, not a specific number here, but is there any, have you had standout individuals who have very much known their place within a team and know that physically, athletically, you know, they're not going to be the best player and they're not going to play four quarters, but have been an absolute pivotal part of your team and know full well their role. And how important is it to have those type of individuals in your team if you have? I think NFL would call them the locker room guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and do you know what? I, I, there, there are those people and they are so valuable. And I think for me, I share with those people my personal, like I, when I was in my final year at uni, I was made captain. I didn't play in the Booster final. I didn't take one step wow. onto court. Um, because the the goal defence that had had an ACL injury all season, who was an England player, got fit for the final. And rightly so, she was better than me. But it was was probably one of, at the time, one of the most embarrassing kind of deflating things because I had to then step onto court, pick up the trophy and do a thank you speech. And I was thanking people for a great game and I hadn't played in that game. Yeah. 
But you have, but you have to know, you have to know your place, and you have to realize that up until that one game, you have been such a big part, and that's kind of I always say that to those people. So the people that have been at every training, the people that have played in like the earlier rounds, or you know, or the or the friendlies that build up to that final, they're just as much part of it. And yeah, those are the people that quite often, if it's a school team, by the time you're in your upper sixth, your final year they're often on the court because they've not missed a training session and they might not have been the best players when you were younger and then lower down, but because they've not missed the training, because they've been on the bench learning and listening to all the other players talking and stuff, they do end up being in that squad and you would never want them to not be in that squad. They're, they're key to success without any doubt. Nice. Well, I was, I was thinking back to, and it's done the rounds again quite recently, I think because everyone's work situation has changed so much, but there was that study that talked about a phenomenal talented but uh, toxic employee will mm. decrease your productivity of your entire operation and so it's actually m- more beneficial to have cooperative and positive but less good at their job I suppose uh, employees for the sake of the entire organization yeah. so the superstar that will poison the group more than a bunch mm. of good to good to great netball players working together will will get you to the final and win. I suppose. yeah. And I was wondering if you've seen it up up close. Uh, do you know what? It's so funny that you should say that. I um I had a very talented squad at, at, at my last school, and the first year that they got through as a squad to the national finals, we just won the regional competition, and then. I don't think the rest of the girls would mind me saying that or even the individual themselves would mind me saying it, but our best player, our physically our best player, our Mm. goal attack, so a very key person, she has to shoot the goals, was also a very talented footballer and she played for Millwall and she told us the day we got through to the finals that she wasn't going to be able to play in the finals because she had um, a football football commitment. And I had to manage that fallout um, and the very first thing... I did was obviously the individual herself that was fine we had a chat that was her priority no bad feelings um I I asked her whether she wanted to carry on training with the squad she said she didn't fine my priority was always then the girls Mm. that were and the very first thing I did was to say to them that they cannot have any negative chat about the individual or about the fact that they probably weren't going to do as well what I did was make a road call and bring up a youngster who was two years younger than them who had a bit of raw talent um, and we then just started grafting and I honestly don't think they believed they were going to do well until the the actual weekend itself and they did they came 10th in the country Um, and if you take if you take out the the independent schools we we came first which I like to do because you know I just (laughs) (laughs) like to pull that in no not anymore absolutely not anymore that gets us on to another thing that I was I was wondering about is the is the shift in expectations or where those expectations come from. When you move from a state school to a selective school, at least, um, whether your role as uh, a coach changes or is, is pulled in a different direction, or if you have to shift your expectations or change them upwards even, because it is often the independents that are winning the championships yeah it's really interesting um obviously I spent 11 years at my last school and I'm still in the same county as my new school so I still play the old school and and that's all fine it's very friendly (laughs) uh, you know it's fine 
Um, but my old school, the, the state school, um, I was head of PE there at, at one point. And so I was able to kind of make that whatever I wanted it to be. The netball could have been really small or it could have been really big. Um, but there was no one really holding me accountable to what I was providing. Um, so, you know, we, we did have over 120 year sevens turn out to netball club, which then dwindled and then goes up again each year. And But no one was kind of holding me to that. Yeah. Whereas, yeah... In the new school now, independent school, every child has to play. Every child, you know, they all have to not only come to the clubs and they have their games afternoons, but they have to represent the school as well. Um, and so the biggest challenge for me, because I know I've spoken a lot about sort of Sorry, is that a school expectation or, or a parental? Um, both, I think. Both, yeah. yeah. I mean, the school... The, the the big thing is is how important sport is and and every child is expected and this is the school saying it to um before uh, to compete on a saturday to, you know to, there to are saturday the fixtures. school in some fashion yeah absolutely um and the school's expectations is that all the girls play both the major sports the other be- one being lacrosse but the girls themselves then that that presents me as i've come into this new role is right i've got all these students that have to play netball are they enjoying it have i you know i've got to make sure that you know this little pocket of girls that wouldn't call themselves sporty that have hated netball can i turn that little group around and start getting them to enjoy it because they have to compete they don't have a choice but on on the higher level on the more elite level the school i've come into haven't performed as well as my old school on a on a sort of regional and national level so I almost feel lucky in that I'm coming in with well there's pressure on me because that they're, they're expecting me to be able to you know get some success at, at a higher level but their high expectations you've come to them yeah with. but then equally I can see the reason I took the job is because I can see how much talent there is within this school yeah. um, and, and and seeing if I can sort of rise to the challenge with the girls and actually get get some more success there Cara so in your obviously in your previous school you spoke about maybe not having that expectation on you and netball could have been as small as it as it could have done or as big as it could have done do you see like a real benefit in that in any kind of situation you go into and obviously we have a professional expectation but should there also be a level of almost trust as to you're going in there to do the best that you can do with what you have and does that sometimes give you a level of freedom to kind of motivate you to make it the best it can be opposed to having lots of expectations and then feeling though you might not you you know you might not make them yeah I think so I don't know where I sit with that one because I quite like having someone not calling me to account but asking me you know or challenging me giving me you know actually you've done well with this bit but but what about that I don't think that I quite like people pulling pulling me sort of different ways and saying okay well this area is quite good but actually you've done nothing for this group of uh, students or or whatever I guess it depends on personality I was very lucky in my old school um as I was building the netball to have other really committed specialists within that department um but the thing with the state school is you've got no guarantee what specialisms you have in your department. Um, mm. and, and now I know their netball isn't such a big sport because they don't have a netball specialist there anymore. They're, they're focusing on rugby. They're focusing on trampolining. Um, so, yeah, and no, I guess you, you gain that freedom by just the fact that you, you focus on whatever your specialism is. So, yeah, the trust is there for that because you, you're trusted mm. to, to build build from your experience. But... I personally like someone 
also calling the shots on ter- in terms of kind of setting me more challenges, I guess. I think it also comes to, uh, speaks to, and this I guess would have been you from a, from a head of PE point of view, but it also speaks to this issue of culture and of statement of values about, not just about sport, but about winning or about participating mm. across a school and across a department. Because if, if there's not that voice that for me as a as a as a drama teacher and a performance teacher, if there's not that voice somewhere saying it is safe to take part in all the ways that it needs to be safe for a young person to take part or this is this is what you as a kid can expect from trying to participate if that voice isn't there then the team and the coach are on shaky ground it's something we raise with educators the difference between playing the educational value of playing to win and the educational Mm. value of participation yeah and how it sounds like you're in a unique position to have to balance that at the moment yeah 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 and I mean that's something I have fallen in love with at my new school is that the school ethos is the importance on participation is so high every single student takes part in sport but but the focus is on really on enjoyment and well-being is mm. massive at this new school as well, uh, which I know you're, you're sort of a specialist in as, uh, as well. And I feel like that all works together. And actually what I'm presented with most days at school is I will turn up and the other big difference is the team of coaches I have around me now at this new school. I've got, I've got you know, I've got 40 students and four coaches, which is, you know, a, a, a lead coach's dream. Um, whereas yeah. the last school would have 120 and just me and a couple of sixth formers you know so the 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 ability you have you know the potential you have there is massive but the the school's ethos and the school's approach to healthy active lifestyles well-being and sport is is second to none where i'm at at the moment cara where where you know i i hear i hear schools talk uh in the same way as you're talking now um about your current your current school um but but in terms of just the practical nature of that are are you saying that geography teachers english teachers you know economics teachers across the board the different sports the rugby coaches is everyone coming into that environment with the importance of sport is it something that is a message that is 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 embedded into every classroom you know in every assembly because it's it, you know, we talk about this sporting culture, but I think to put it into reality is really tricky and takes a number of years. And so when you walked in the doors, did you just feel it all around? Um, and where are those messages coming from and how consistent are they? Yeah, it's tr- it's tricky. I mean, that would be the, what you've just described is is my idea of a, a perfect school. It, it wouldn't I wouldn't say it is embedded all the way through the school. But what is embedded is the um, the this well-being and this mental health and how important your physical health is. And that is there in everything you do. It's all around the school. It's um, implemented in every they call um, tutor time CPs. And, you know, even in those mornings, like so, for example, we We've moved to being a virtual school um, and the very thing from the moment we got told uh, we were going into lockdown was that our school was not shutting we're just moving virtually so I see my form twice a day and um, I'm seeing my A-level students I don't know lots of schools are doing the same mm. but you know that was never ever anything but the expectation at that school of how you would carry on my team are still delivering virtual lessons so you know we've got our head of cricket delivering his cricket turnouts every night after school um and you've got you know athletic sessions happening we did a virtual fixture with another school um, wow. last week 
um, a virtual running fixture on Strava, you know. So in a way, I would say I've walked into a really a great school where it is embedded. Um, how it gets embedded over those years, I don't know, because obviously I'm just new in. Yeah. Um, but certainly yeah. that that's where you then can take. That's why I feel stepping into that role. The, the grassroots is all embedded. You know, the participation yeah. is there. They do understand the importance of sport. They do take part in the sport. All I've got to do now, in my view, is get the, get the, get the girls enjoying it, no matter what their ability is. And then on the other level to try and get them some some more success at a higher level. Hmm. So with the virtual, you you, you describe mm. a little bit there the the kind of keeping keeping the activity going. Um, have you put in and put anything in place in terms of keeping the teamwork element going, the sense of communitas or, or something like that? Um, not so much on the netball side because that's off season at the moment so and um, we had a department meeting earlier on uh, this morning and one of the things we were starting to talk about was we don't know what school sport is going to look like come september right but we need to prepare for it like it is going to be normal and therefore i will for the summer term now start having meetings where we do some team building and we do some little bits and pieces yeah to get the, the girls kind of feeling back in the team but at the moment their focus is their summer sports. So I've not really been mm. doing anything from a netball specific um, focus at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard at the moment because we don't know what school sport will look like come September. Um, but the, the the team side of it would need to be fostered regardless of how that looks come you um, know, when, we, when we do return. Yeah, what percentage of the team is likely to look the same as last year? How many, what's the turnover like? Uh, um, so at the at the top end, the senior level, our current first team, all but one is uh, an upper sixth that's going to be moving on to university. So massively different. Um, so lots and lots of opportunity for for change there. Um, then lower down the school, sort of your older year group, so your say uh, fourth and fifth years, your under 15s and under 16s, they would probably look similar because they're quite well established. Whereas your younger ones, your under 12s and under 13s, they're very much open for movement and and you just don't you don't know you don't know which which students have been training over the summer who's had a big growth spurt because i hate to say it but height really does help in netball um (laughs) so if anyone if anyone's looking particularly tall when they return to school they might get moved up a team whoever's had it been eating their uh, greens during isolation is in for a good shot (laughs) yeah Um, if i've got a six foot year seven coming in they'll be straight in the team (laughs) cara so so obviously it's difficult for you to to give a full gauge as to your kind of role at the moment because it is such a new role for you. You know, this is uh, from September, right? You've been in that role since September. Yes, correct. And then, you know, 11 years at your previous um, at your previous school. But then you've also got your club commitments as well with your, you know, with the adult women's team. Are you someone who likes to come in see things that need to be changed and instantly make an impact or do you prefer to see how the ground is laid and uh you know see things out and just have a mental note and write things down and slowly slowly plan for that maybe next year to then make those changes and whichever way you have gone how have you seen that affect the teams that you've worked with um yeah certainly going from a school where you've been for so long going to a new school i've kind of spent this year looking particularly I, I joined three weeks into the autumn term um right. because of maternity uh, various reasons um but um so that made it even more difficult I couldn't have made big changes anyway um but it almost 
in reflection now looking back it was almost a, a real blessing because everything had got started the old director of netball was actually still in the school she'd had a, a sort of a, a move with internally so and she, ironically she was one of my university coaches so I know her very well on a personal level as well so she's been incredible in terms of she's still been there she's been able to I've been able to soundboard everything off her but I've been able to see how it runs almost this year making a few tweaks and changes but yeah it's given me a whole year of seeing now I'm ready to to come in and start making some changes. And she's actually going to be leaving at the end of this year, um, which obviously I'll miss her greatly, but it almost gives me even more freedom because now I'm like, okay, this is really now my thing. She's been at the school. Start winning some championships <laughs> without feeling exactly. guilty. But yeah, I kind of, I'm being thrown out on my own next year, which is, is, is nice in a way. Obviously I'll miss her massively, but um, yeah, that, that's exciting. Um, whereas I, took, I take a very different approach with the club netball. When I started at the club I coach at, I did one training session and I kind of went in not really caring how they'd been coached before or what the style was. I just went in and was like, right, this is what I want you to do. This is how you do it. I didn't really care whether they liked it or not um, because it was a taster session. And, you know, that's completely different. And that I kind of go in doing whatever I want, uh, coaching the style I want because that that team has now become moulded to the way I coach. Um and a lot of them haven't, yeah. And what about that as though, so obviously the club was already formed before before you went there. So again, going back to the whole kind of values and culture, that that is a club where people have day jobs, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. not professional. So are there things in place that the club have done from the get-go, even to when you went in and, and things and how things have developed since you've been there, that kind of give everyone a reason to be at training every week, a reason to turn up at the weekend. Obviously, they enjoy the sport, but there's just so many other responsibilities as an adult who may have kids, who may have, you know, jobs in far places, travel times are difficult. How does the club uh, deal with those kind of things? Yeah, that's an interesting one too, um, because that's really difficult. Because when I started at the club, you'd probably have talked about it being more of a recreational local level club where exactly that people were juggling lots of responsibilities it was very much just about fun friends coming together it was a real social community and they enjoyed playing netball um gradually as we've moved up now um it's become more serious the level of training's become more intense the distance just simple things like the higher up you go the further you have to travel yeah. you know yeah. premier league i was having to get a flight you know or <laughs> you know, seven hours up to northumbria or you know a wow. flight to jersey or whatever um so it kind of it, it kind of self-selects people anyway because if you know i'm looking at now i've got a little child i've got responsibilities i couldn't play the level of netball i used to play from a practical mm. level. Um, so I guess the, the, yeah, you have a lot of responsibility in a club because you are dealing with adults with lots of responsibility, but that's kind of gradually changed in terms of expectations, the higher up we've gone. Now I kind of, it's known within the club that the, the top team, the regional team that I coach, we're a performance team. So there are different expectations with that squad than there is if you're in the B or C team where you turn up on a Thursday and it doesn't matter if you turn up or not, you'll still play on the weekend. Whereas here, you're not going to get on court if you haven't been at the training working on whatever set play we've been working on. Um, and I'm sorry if you have a child and they were sick. That just has to be the case. And Cara, have, have, you, put, have you put that in? And where do those conversations take place? Because obviously, you don't just magic up 
we were once an amateur kind of come along for fun and mm. now we're a performance team so who who puts their hand up and says hang on a second guys we're actually gonna take this as seriously as we can do at this level so yeah so you get promoted and obviously that imposes a new level of performance on you guys do you then have to sit down and have a conversation to say are we prepared to take this more seriously because you're being promoted for your success but not necessarily out of choice you're mm. you just you just win and move up yeah is it that's a, a, a yeah that's interesting i am the lead coach but i don't own the club and actually the the first year we got promoted from county league to the regional league um which is the one we're currently in now um the very first year that happened the owner of the club decided that the 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 squad that had got promoted automatically regained their position in the club very interesting because obviously you become a regional club you then attract players from outside um as the regional coach obviously i want the best 12 players in the squad um, and that year was really tricky because i was getting a few players kind of coming to me saying oh you've got into the regional league like i'd like to come and train and join your club um and i had to actually turn some of them away because the, the owner of the club had said no everyone that gained into the regional league earns the right the the existing group was was integral the existing yeah. group yeah yeah um which which i didn't necessarily agree with or disagree with that was her decision i'm just the coach so i just sort of got on with it but certainly we had that conversation at the very beginning um just very literally you know saturday it's not just going to be an hours game we've got two hours to drive get their warm up obviously all the prep stuff then you've got refreshments afterwards which is you have to stay for and you know that that happens and and uh, and then you travel home so you, you know you've got to be prepared to sacrifice your whole saturday for this um and, and, and yeah those those sort of conversations and you lay out your expectations don't you so every season i sit down with any team whether it's a school team whether it's a um a club team whether it's you know whoever I'm coaching even if I've just gone and helped out with someone I would always say sit them down at the beginning of the season and get them to set out what they want to achieve what is their goal um because it just helps to refer back to that even when the season's going maybe you have a hiccup or have a couple of bad games on the bounce you can then regroup and go back to that what you all discussed at the beginning of the season and it holds everyone you know makes everyone realise and remember what they set out to achieve at the beginning of the season. Cara, I think it's really interesting there you said what they want to achieve opposed to the coach's expectations of what we should achieve. Do you always kind of ask them as a team what they want to achieve this year? Obviously, the coach is going to have an influence on it as well, but is it very much that kind of... Uh, conversation with the team as to what they want to achieve and and have you found that that's been a benefit because then they take ownership of of the decision yeah definitely I've always worked that way um, I've always put it back on them and um, with every team you know it, it, it's your team I'm the coach I can't go on court on match day I can't always be there to coach you individually if something's going wrong particularly during the game I can't you know I can't communicate directly with my my goalkeeper who's at the other end of the court um in netball you have to like dugouts in football you have to stay where yeah in, in a set place um which is hard and right yeah, I feel, yeah of course it is I'd love to be able to go up to my like, player and tell them right you're doing this wrong come on but no um no I think I, I, I've always kind of made it them um uh, like my team this season we had a flying start with five games five games undefeated um and then had a wobble for no reason they just started stopping performing and um we sat around a table one evening instead of training and i got them all to write down 
about each player strengths weaknesses even better if you know the classic teaching like I would as a player it would be great if you could do this more or stop doing this so much and people were brutally honest um but I put myself in there as well so my my piece of paper was going around and um I got some really honest feedback from them you know things they think I make too many changes or or don't communicate necessarily with them as to why they've been subbed and you know that that is the key they have to have an opinion that's what drives the team. You had to leave your ego at the door in that meeting then, Cara. Yeah, big time, big time. But I prepped them before. Um, I did suggest, you know, I've done it before and it hasn't worked. So I've learned from experience there where people take it to heart. Yeah. Um, so I had said to them, you know, I've got this idea. I want to try it. Do people want to buy into it? You're going to have to take some constructive criticism. What do people think? Um, and they, they wanted to do it. So, yeah. And then and then the season got caught. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably all thinking of the negatives now we're not on court but never mind I'll address that next season <laughs> but it is a paradox that I think kind of occasionally needs to be acknowledged for like a coach or a team leader it is it is impossible for you to expect the group to be invested in something so massively that they want to win and also not give a crap if it's going to change or not have an opinion if if something's not right. You don't get those two levels of investment. You're either in or you're not in. And so you need to learn how to deal with the investment because those are the people you want. Like you were saying at the beginning, you've got to be yeah. that team player. And if that team player cares yeah. about winning, they also care about the team and how things run. And so you need to be able to have that conversation. And we, we spoke to someone about... Uh, they called it they called it uh, radical truthfulness and radical transparency nice. you need to be able to speak your mind to whoever's mm-hmm. there and stand by what you've said but also be heard and have that person stand by their opinion yeah. too yeah and and that comes down an awful lot to personal skills doesn't it um you know one thing i've been really lucky with and and i always, i said to nick knowing i was going to do this podcast i was like what do you think of me as a coach? I know he doesn't necessarily, he's not there. He never goes to my training sessions. He sometimes comes to the matches. Cara, this is Nick, your husband, by the way, just for our viewers. Sorry, yes, this is Nick, my husband. Sorry, apologies. (laughs) Yeah, so I said to my husband, you know, what do you know or think of me as a coach? And and it struck me because he just said, you manage to get people to do what you want to do, but get them to think that they want to do it which I thought was really interesting. And I guess it's the way our, maybe our marriage works. I managed to get him to do exactly what I want, but he ends up thinking, that maybe I'm just really manipulative, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a really nice insight into what he sees me doing on a match day and he sees what I do um, with the various teams. And I think it does come down to personal skills. It's persuading people to behave and to act and deliver and to train in a certain way, but not have them feel like they're being told that's what they have to do it's getting them to think actually i want to train like that i want to be like that and i want to do this for the team so important. Um, so previously we've some people have identified that as uh being tied to the ultimate goal some people have been have tied that to the ownership of community so it's interesting it's interesting it comes back Mm. a lot at the moment but lives in slightly different places for different types of group. And I think when it's the performance group, it's about saying, do we want to win this championship potentially? Uh, And everyone going, yep, 
Yeah. And learning what to do when it's not working. Remember, remember <laughs> yeah. we said we wanted to win this thing. It doesn't happen without this. Cara, each week we like to ask um, our guests um, about any inspirational coaches they've had because we, we definitely believe that coaches make coaches. So is there anyone that's kind mm-hmm. of influenced you on your journey? Um, I, I would probably go all the way back to school. Um, and I had a very enthusiastic netball teacher called Tony Daniels, and she was a little bit crazy, a little bit off the wall, Um, (laughs) and it wasn't anything to do with her netball knowledge. It was the fact that I must have been about 15. It was a weekend, so there was no school in this, you know, my school was a, a state school as well, so we didn't have any school. I was up at my club playing a netball match, and she was there with a deck chair pulled out ready to watch me play. She didn't have to come. Um, she she was having her weekend she chose to come and watch me for no reason other than she wanted to see me play for my club Um, and that's what stuck with me because if you show you know that's that's what I take in my teaching because you know people have hundreds of teachers but if you know a teacher really cares that much about you as a person regardless of whether it's netball geography you know history whatever it is it it's that teacher that you remember isn't it the teacher that goes that extra mile um and so for me she made me realize how much she loved my sport but also loved watching me play the sport um and I kind of try to take that you know in any role I've done you know it's it takes very little to make a young person or a student feel special no big grand gestures like she did with her, you know, coming up and watching me, but even just a comment or a word, um, you know, we all know about those negative things teachers say to you and they stick, you know, particularly with sport. We have to be so careful with sport. Um, I've seen some terrible teaching in the past where a child's being told they're not good at something. That har- you know, that harbours, that manifest, they then never forget it. Um, so I guess, yeah, she would be the person because she was so caring that I'll always think of when I think of, of trying to be a good coach. Be careful with your words and make sure you're you're being positive, even if you're being, you know, even if you're delivering con- cr- constructive criticism. Yeah. Be nice. What a yeah. way to end. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, great answer. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so oh, much. Thank, thank you, you so much for much. coming on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. It sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff there. That there's loads, loads to look forward to if you're Hope so, if you're yeah. if you're a netball fan. Uh, mm-hmm. That you're doing. Yeah, some interesting stuff as far as lockdown is going. We spoke to a few people about sports in isolation uh, mm. and no one's quite yet described a fixture. So that's really fascinating. Yes, yeah. Before we cut you off, is there anything you desperately want to mention? No, not really. No, just any, if anyone is listening that's thinking, oh, maybe I played netball before or I'm just about to start playing netball or anything, you know, whether it's netball or any other sport, it, it's it gives you so much more than just the sport. You know, I, I, I still, you know, I still am so involved with it and have been since I was six years old because it is every, you know, it gives you so much. It gives you that social side. It gives you the mental, you know, the mental relief that you need uh, within your week, particularly when you're an adult. Um, but it is, you know, any sport, but particularly netball is just so great for the community and, and the culture that you then immerse yourself in. It's, it's, so important. I couldn't imagine what I'd be like if I didn't play sport. If you'd, if you'd, uh, if you'd got into one of the other teams at Loughborough. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Competitive darts coach, Cara McCartney. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
Cara, thank you so much for coming on. That was really insightful, especially me as a sports coach. You know, I was really looking forward to this one. We've got uh, various different guests that have come on from different industries. But to listen to what you've said there, I mean, it's making me think about my own coaching and and how I can look to improve, um, hopefully in September when we get back to some normality, (laughs) we hope. Um, But once again, thank you so much, Cara. Yeah, goodbye. Be safe. (laughs) Thank you both so much. That's been really, really enjoyable been great speaking to you both. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Cara for that interview. I um, I was particularly always taken with this, with her perspective on um, meeting the needs of different skill levels, that, that being both elite and uh, inclusive uh, is something that, I contend with quite a lot because I want everyone to be getting involved in drama and uh, but I also want to be stretching those people who you know are putting in the time are putting in the effort and are starting to feel like it's something they want to be the best at Um, you must meet it with with coaching all the time definitely I think it's probably one of the hardest things about working with young people in the sporting environment and you know just working with young people generally is just striking that balance between being able to engage those students who are at the the higher level and keeping them entertained and keeping them motivated um, and and setting them new challenges uh, but also trying to be as inclusive as possible because you want students involved in the sport. You want young people involved in either the physical activity or performance or whatever it may be. You want them engaged in something. So it's a, it's a hard balance to strike and Cara done a great job of kind of explaining how she does it. Yeah, I think that most coaches and most uh, theatre teachers and theatre directors I know want to pass on that love of the game. And I think acknowledging that reasons to love it are different for different people. Some people love the feeling of being excellent at something other people just love the camaraderie or love the 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 structure or love just kicking a ball about absolutely and yeah catering for those where like for me i think it's really important for those two groups to meet sometimes like to find a place where someone who is really outstanding meets someone who's rubbish at it because i think it does create a sense of aspirations and expectations that that build but also if you do have first team or a really top quality uh, student being able to offer the challenge that will keep giving them the love of the game or the love of the art because otherwise it could get boring is so important definitely and you know i'm in the process of trying to have a a masterclass um coaching masterclass with one of our sports just so those students involved can see that high level of coaching mm. from someone who's not myself because the sport in question is not is not my sport it's we're talking event. about yeah. no we're talking about netball um which is apt for Kara's episode but yeah it's giving them that kind of insight into where you can take your game and what is expected of you at maybe a higher level um and just some insights that someone who's been coaching for a very long time in that sport at a high level can offer them and I think the the group is very mixed so it should offer something for everyone Um, and it's just that aspirational thing of you know when you when you have a top coach coming in it should hopefully 
up everyone's game yeah. or at least get them to understand that game a little bit more. Yeah, and I think it's a place that I don't occupy or I don't visit very often of the uh, high-performance non-professional that Cara was talking about, that kind of, I it's not my job, I'm not sponsored, I'm not competing in the Olympics, but I am taking it really seriously. It is how I get my exercise, it is how I get my adrenaline, my juice is from competing rather than just playing. And that that kind of space, that is a place where a lot of the people that we meet as students are going to end up either moving into or kind of not feeling it and, and, and dropping to the side. So I find it very interesting about building the aspiration for competitiveness without necessarily the expectation that you're going to be kind of world elite level this will be your job now. Yeah, I think my baseline is is always if you're going to do a thing, try and do it to the best of your ability. If you're going to do a thing, try and do it to the best of your ability. If you take nothing away, that's the message. Yeah, because I think I, I really like what you said there about trying to almost think and be high performance in a non-high performance mm. environment. Because again, to me, that is inspirational and aspirational. It doesn't mean we'll reach elite level, but we can try yeah. um, in our mindset and in the small things that we do every single day. We spoke to many people on this podcast now. And, you know, it's about the small things. It's about the little things that we do every day consistently yeah. that will make us better. And so, as I said, if I'm going to do a thing, I try to do it to best, best my ability. It's the only way to get to, to, to actually get the proper enjoyment out of that process as well is exactly. you're never going to experience it fully unless you're going all in even if it's a limited amount of time or space that you've allowed for it i mean let's just you know that this is a sports episode um we have a, a, a netball coach on but if we just flip it into mark's realm i mean i don't know how much juice a student can get out of a theater company or you know or drama workshops and and clubs and things like that if they're constantly rehearsing a thing that they never then perform. Yeah. There has to surely be that performance end goal. And I know you, you work with students at all different levels, but surely the performance of the thing that you're working on is ultimately what's going to bring them back to like want to go again and want to practice something else. For, and, su for some, yeah. yeah. But what I'm really interested in is for those that that aren't there for that particular adrenaline rush because performance is a very specific thing. Like if you are in the room building skills, let's say, um, you will never get good at it if the only thing you're practicing is a half-assed version of the thing that you yes. want to get good at. I will, you know, I will never reach level 10 if I've only ever practiced level five and, you know, I can be at level five and know that I have to go six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But if all I'm doing is half-assing it, if I'm just showing up and giving bare minimum or something in the middle, there's so much, not just uh, growth to be had, but enjoyment to be had. Doing something well is its reward. It's, it Absolutely. gives you the joy. I agree. So I want to see, yeah, that's... that's uh, when it like when you're in school that gets offered to you quite a lot when you leave school and you have to start developing like hobbies being part of a 
okay netball club is very different from being part of a netball club that had to decide, like Kara was saying, to step their game up because we're there now. Definitely. I think that's a great example of what we're talking about now. Mm. Uh, so that was Kara's episode. We're going to uh, leave you now and be back with guests next week. Uh, we rambled on a little bit there, but I think like, we could have spent a lot longer talking about that. And that's the juice that Kara talking about her training gives us. Um, if you would like to hear from anyone in particular, uh, you can email us, Mark or Sean, at noipodcast.show. You can hit us up on LinkedIn as well. Thank you to people who have uh, liked our posts and, and uh, checked out some of the people that have been guests and have come via LinkedIn. And you can hit us up on social media at noipodcast on Twitter and on Instagram. For now, though, all that's left is for me to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.